if you've got a Bible, then look at Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And <clears throat> kind of coming to the end of this series. Uh, this series we've called This Is Us. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a TV program. I have not seen it, uh, as I like to say. Uh, but I know when it's on because Martha's crying. And, uh, and so, uh, but I have not seen it. Don't really know much about it. But I, I'm, I fell in love with the title. Because this is us is, is, is a powerful thought. Because who you are is huge in understanding what God's called you to do, right? And so when you put it all together, this is what we've been talking about for weeks. Weeks. And, um, and most of everything I've been talking to you about is who, is who we are, right? Who we are. We spent one week talking about who you are in Christ and the difference he's made in your life. But then after that, I want you to know that the context of everything that Jesus said had to do with, with, with this thought. And all of the different metaphors of, of a family, of a building, you know, the church being a building, of all the different materials and all the different things, and it's being built together, right? Everybody's got a different role. The, 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 obviously, the church is a body of Christ, therefore, therefore you've got different you've got different parts of the body. When you connect them all together, they can be very effective, right? And so I've been sharing with you all this time of who we are. Because Jesus himself said that on this rock, I will build my church. Therefore, a church is not an organization. It's not a religious institution. It's not denominations. The church, according to who Christ is, is, is you, if you're a believer today. Right? It's you. Therefore, when you say, well, I think the church, what you're really saying is, is I think I ought to. Because the church is you. It's, it's living. Why? Because you're living. It's breathing. Because you're breathing. You got to understand that that's, we've been talking about, and, and really you have to think, you have to take that concept, right? And in everything you've thought about what you think a church is, or what your experiences have been, you need, to put, you need to put it aside, and let's take a look. What does the Scripture say that we are, right? This is us. That's why we titled it. So the greater majority that I have spent this time on is talking about who we are. I am absolutely convinced if we ever be who he's called us to be, us to be, then doing what he's called us to do is not a problem. That just naturally happens. But I do want to talk to you about the task we've been given, which is what today is all about. But this whole thing that we've been talking on of being a family, of, this, of God calling it a family, but there's this function and there's this unity that happens when we're all on the same page. And it's miraculous when we all get on the same page. And, uh, but getting on the same page is not an easy thing to do. When you get everybody on the same page, Jesus said that, that the gates won't stop it. Gates of hell won't stop it. But getting on the same page is never an easy thing to do. And therefore, when God's at work, when he's really at work, everybody gets on the same page. Okay? Let me just give you a for instance of a modern day of people getting on the same page. Um, you know, God bless him. Um, Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord this past week. He was 99 years old. That's just incredible for me to believe. But, you know, Billy Graham was, 
you know, I was sharing with him Wednesday night. Billy Graham shared the gospel with more people than anyone in history. He just did. I mean, the abilities that he had. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Billy Graham, um, if you ever heard him speak, you would not walk out thinking, wow, that guy's awesome. No, in fact, he was just really simple. It was always understandable. He always, he always got the message across. And so have you ever wondered, you know, and, and it, when he stands up and he shares the gospel in such a, just an just a incredibly simple way, is that God's, God just seems, seemed to have always worked. I mean, I always was amazed at that until he came to Tampa. And when he came to Tampa, I had started a church over in Tampa, just, just in downtown Tampa, right off in Davis Island. And, um, and lots of things were going great at that little church we started. And so we were having a great time just about a year and a half in. And it was perfect timing because Billy Graham, the, they were coming to town to do a crusade at Raymond James. And so I got to be a part of it, right? They asked me, I was on all the little committees and different things. And, and I've always wondered, what is it that makes these things tick? And, and, and some of you now, you're, you're, because he hadn't been able to do them now for lots of years, so some of you didn't even, probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But he used to do these big crusades, and, and, and they were always well attended, and God always seemed to work. What a crowd thing. And um, anyway, but I found out a good chunk of why. And a lot of people, well, God just worked. Yeah, yeah, he did. But I, there's a why behind it. Because for some reason, Billy Graham, at least for the short term, could, could get a whole lot of believers on the same page. Because I'll never forget the first meeting we had. And of course, I was gung-ho to be a part of it. But I can't tell you, and because I'll get myself in trouble, I can't tell you the number of denominations that were there all across the board and everybody wanting to be a part. Didn't matter what they did. Stand here to be an usher, you know, you know, help with the, you know, help with the counseling end, help with the whatever, the, the student night end, whatever it was, I cannot tell you the number, not only the number, but the but people I thought would never get on this page. And yet for about six to eight months, everybody got on the same page. We want to be a light to this community. And I don't know why God gave Billy Graham that ability. He gave him a great name. He gave him, I don't know. But guys, that became the secret. He could get everybody on the same page. Right? Have you ever wondered as you looked at the scriptures... We've been talking on Wednesday nights on first, in 1 first Peter. You can look at 1 Peter, you can look at several of the other epistles of Paul, but there was this constant, there was this constant, constant appeal to the churches to, to be unified, get everybody on the same page, because the gates of hell won't stop it if you do. It's an amazing thing to watch. When I watched that Billy Graham crusade kick off, and then... So many people were together. So many people had prayed from across every line you can imagine. And then something, well, Jesus made a promise. Y'all get on the same page. It's going to happen. So I think that incredible. 
And yet so many times, you know, the color of the brochure can divide believers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, you know, I don't think that, right, right. And all of a sudden, you just might as well shut it down, right? Because if you can't go on the same page about st- stupid things, then how you <laughs> I was thinking about not saying it, but I am going to say it. If you can't get on the page about those, then how are you going to get on the bigger things? That's what today is about. Today is about the task we've been given. But the key to it is what I've talked about up till now. Everybody knows the task. All right, we talked about it a thousand times. Charlie talked to you about it a couple weeks ago in the missions conference. We're going to talk to you about it again. But the last week's is about, is about getting on the page. Everybody understanding with a body concept that I'll sacrifice myself because my gifts are a hand. All right, I'm going to sacrifice myself to the good of what he's called us to do in order for God to work through us because this is us. That becomes who we're supposed to be. And it is incredible. Promises that Christ has made that if we get on the same page, then nothing's going to stop us. But if we don't, then it's just to and fro and, well, I don't believe everybody's got an opinion. Well, I think we ought to. And then it just goes on and on and on. But really, the only task that you and I have been given, a whole lot more is focused in the scriptures on this is us and, and who we're supposed to be. And there is obviously, there's, there's some of what we're supposed to be doing. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today, uh, the church's task. And when I say the church's task, I'm talking about this is us's task, okay? So I'm not talking about, well, this is, the, this is you know, this group's task. That, no, 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 this is us. In other words, we are the church, living, breathing. Therefore, we are to function together in unity down the same road, right? And, um, and here's the task. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four examples, this is going to be real straightforward, real simple. It'll go fairly quick, all right? But I don't, again, I just want you to see it, all right? I just want you to see it. And you're going to see over the next few weeks, we're going to uh, end up in our, our, our missions time. And I can't tell you how important that time is because it's not just the mission we have locally, but it's the mission that he's called us going to all nations. And again, I'll talk to you more about that next week. But let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about the different examples of the task because remember this. I talk to you all the time at Christmas and Easter about who Christ is and what he came to do. Who Christ is, what he came to do. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Who Christ is, what he came to do. Because he could have never come to do what he did if he wasn't who he says he was. We talk about that all the time. Same concept with who you are. Who you plural. This is us is. All right. I know that's not good English, but it helps for you to understand. All right. This is us is. Who this is us is. All right. So, <laughs> so when you put that together, okay, when you understand, therefore, it's not just when we talk about the gospel, who Christ is, what he came to do. It's who you are and what he's called you to do. It's who you are and what he's called you to do. And the struggle is you're going to have a hard time doing what he's called you to do if you try to do it by yourself. And yet in our culture, that's what we want to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll do it. And it's all about what I do. No, that's not what he wants. It's not what he's called it to be. It's an incredible thing. But I have found, the reason I've spent so much time on this, if we can ever figure out who we're supposed to be, healthy, what we would call a healthy body of Christ, then what we're supposed to do is not going to be a problem. Right? 
So, but you do need to know what the task is. So it's, it's throughout the scriptures. So I'm going to give you different, you know, snapshots, just four of them throughout the scriptures. You're going to get a snapshot in the Old Testament. You're going to get a snapshot uh, from Jesus. Therefore, the th- Jesus is actually words. And, uh, and then you're going to get one from uh, the disciples and then from Paul. And, and again, these are just pictures, right? These are just pictures. So number one is an, an example from the Old Testament, okay? Example from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. And i got a few things underneath that. I just, again, I don't want you to miss. Number one is a picture of, of the Lord. Now, there aren't many of these in the scriptures, uh, but there are some. It's a picture of who God is, right? An understanding, uh, of, of not so much who he is, but, but, but what are characteristics of him. All right? In Isaiah chapter 6, there's a guy by the name of Isaiah. God used Isaiah in an incredible way. In fact, there are so many things in the book of Isaiah that, um, that are so obvious that, that God had to have shown him these things because he could not have figured those out on his own. But Isaiah in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, God did something in Isaiah's life. God God opened his eyes and let him see. Uh, There's something very, very incredible. Remember this also, is that the task that God has given us to do is impossible unless he works in people's lives. That's just the way it works. You can't manufacture results, although lots of people try. Lots of people manufacture things and say God was in it, right? But it's unmistakable when he works. When a person's eyes are open, that means they can see. And a person can, who can see lives differently than those who can't see. So it's, a, it's, it's, anyway. But Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, remember that Isaiah, pretty good guy, and, uh, but lived in a really rough time. Because after Uzziah died, you know, eventually Isaiah lived in the time of Manasseh years later. But it was just an ugly time. It was, it was not bad before Manasseh. But after Manasseh, it was, it was terrible. Anyway, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Okay? High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So he is, he's got this picture that God has revealed to him, shown him, and he's trying to describe it. It's an amazing thing. It says, above him stood a seraphim. Basically angelic type. And... Um, and they each had six wings, uh, two covered face, uh, two covered the head, or excuse me, the feet, and then, uh, and then with two he flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So God gave him a, a look. And the word holy is an incredible thing. You know, a lot of people have opinions of who they think that God is, right? But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, I want to hurt anybody's feelings. But it really doesn't, really doesn't matter what you think. The truth is, is who he is, whether you think you believe it or not. But I will tell you that the the main description, the main characteristic, the foundational characteristic of the God that the scriptures teach about is holiness. It's a word that's not talked about a whole lot anymore because it's kind of fallen out of political correctness, right? Because holiness has to do with living right. 
And we've even got to the point in our culture where what is right, right? It doesn't really matter. Whatever you think is right is right to you and other hogwash like that. Hogwash, that's a great word. I'm going to start using it more, just so you know. It's a good Tennessee word, right? And so, again, holiness, what's the word holy mean? The word holy just means pure. And, um, and so this is an interesting, so interesting thing. So, again, the Lord, he gets a, he gets a picture. Now, number two is Isaiah's response, okay? Isaiah's response. And he said, and this is a typical response of anybody who comes into contact with God's presence. I can, I can show you several, Moses and others. There aren't that many, but there are several. But here's, here's the response, and it's always the same response. Here it is. And I said, Isaiah, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. The old King James calls it undone, but I like lost. I don't, all of a sudden things have dawned on me that I wasn't aware of. I'm, I'm lost. It's like being out in the middle of the woods and not know where you are. And so he has this overwhelming, awesome response. Woe is me for I am lost because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You know, guys, this becomes a response that everyone has when they come into contact with who God is. We've lost this, this concept. Our Jewish friends have not lost it. Those who are truly understand the scriptures and follow them. But a lot of places... We've lost the sense of awe, but I do want you to understand. I've heard people say, well, yeah, I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God. No, you're not. <laughs> you understand? You're not. First of all, you'll be speechless. And every time I've looked in the scriptures, anybody comes in contact with who God is. Hit, hitting their knees is the only response. I've seen it all over in the scriptures, right? Well, you know, I'm going to talk to God about how he, no, you're not. You may think you are. You may have this thought in your mind of what you think and that in reality you think you know better. But gosh, I don't want to down you too much, but you don't have a clue when you understand the awesomeness of who he is and the holiness is presented just in his presence. And the first thing that everybody, whoever comes into God's presence the first thing that is realized to the person is their own sinfulness. Moses was like that. It just, it, it, overwhelmed, it overwhelmed him. And Isaiah at the time was a pretty good man. I mean, he lived in a real rotten time, so he was one of the better ones, at least in the way we judge things, than most. And yet, he was overwhelmed with his own sinfulness being in God's presence. I find that interesting, too. Guys, I can't tell you how much more there's here that I'd love to talk to you about. That's not the, that's not the point of today, but I had to spend a few minutes with you because these that say, well, you know, you know, our friends that say things like, well, I'm going to tell God there's what enough evidence. You're not going to say a word, right? You're not going to say a word because as I look at the scriptures, there will be an overwhelmed feeling, especially with your own sin. So we're going to go on then to, to Isaiah's response. 
I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips that lives among a people. Basically, I'm a sinner that lives among a bunch of sinners. It's basically what he's saying. And nobody said a word. It was just that picture, right? Anyway, so Isaiah is cleansing, right? So what happened was is that one of the seraphim went to, take a look at verse 6, okay? Verse 6 says one of the one seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken from the altar, right? Now, guys, here in a few weeks, I'm going to start a new series we're going to do that are pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's going to be so, so amazing because it is one of the great things that all through the New Testament they talk about. And there is a picture of Christ here. We're not going to, we're not going to talk about this when we get to it. There's a picture of Christ here because anything that will cleanse, okay, is a picture of who Christ is. So you take a look at this and take a look. And it says what he did in verse 7. He says, he touched my mouth. Isaiah's still talking, and say, behold, okay, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for, that is paid for. So, the understanding, the understanding, first of all, is God gave Isaiah a picture of who he was, and it dawned on him then who he was. You see, we all have this thought about who we think we are, but it's really, really tough when the light shines and you begin to see who you really are. And that was what happened to Isaiah, and he was undone, and yet, and yet sin was atoned for, paid for. And that becomes a picture of Christ, this burning coal, if you will, that cleansed. It's interesting. Anyway, so as soon as all that, I'd love to stay there more, okay? If I do, then we're not going to finish, all right? But number four is, as soon as that happens, is, is that Isaiah is sent. Therefore, the difference that God has made in Isaiah's life at this particular point in time was the message that he wanted Isaiah to take out to everybody else. And so there becomes this picture in the Old Testament of one who sent. In fact, our whole, gosh, our whole missions conference, our whole thing around here is living sent. Why? Because you are sent. And you get it from this passage. Okay? It says here, all right, and I heard a voice in the Lord saying, whom shall I send? All right? And who will go for us? And then I said, you know, it was almost like, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Send me. Because I have found that those who truly are believers, you have a desire for others to hear and understand what you've heard and understand. But sometimes it can be tough. Because unless God opens their eyes and let them see, unless they have a desire to know, sometimes they don't even understand what you're saying. But that doesn't relinquish us from the responsibility of telling them. That becomes a picture here, right? Here I am, send me. It's first kind of an Old Testament picture of one who's being sent. And here's what he says, go, and I want you, this is what I want you to tell the people, okay? You keep on hearing, but you don't understand. A lot of the problem in the nation of Israel at that time was is that they knew a whole lot about what God's word said, but they were blind to what it really meant. You know, you can know something without really knowing it. And that's what he was saying. Go and say to this people, I mean, you, you keep on hearing, but you don't understand, right? It was like, you know, it was like me, you know, in, um, in European literature class. You know, I sat in that class in college because I had to take it, European literature. 
I forgot which one it was I was they were talking about. But oh Lord help me. I listened for whatever I read for chapters. And you know when you read a whole chapter and then you think to yourself, what did I just read? Okay? That's what it means. Okay? That's what it means to say hearing but not understanding. Okay? You keep seeing but you don't perceive. Right? Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and they uh, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And then they, or if, if they could hear and understand, they could turn and be healed, much like is the thought here. So you have this incredible Old Testament picture of sending with a message. Right? Sending with a message. All right, number two is an example from Jesus' life. Now, this, this is where we're going to pick up, and it's going to go, it's going to go pretty quick here. But uh, obviously, let's take a look at an example from Jesus' life. Matthew chapter uh, 9 and verse uh, 35. 9 verse 35. And Jesus went throughout the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So he was going around with a message. Word gospel means good news. So it's a message of good news. Continue to read. And every, healing every disease, every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, this is interesting, the harvest is plentiful, right? But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, okay? that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. So the, the harvest is plentiful. That means there's lots of people out there that don't know. But that also means that there are lots of people out there that want to know. And sometimes we allow the handful of those who really don't care or hate it to stand in a way or put fear in our lives of sharing, right? As a group right? Who he's called us to be. I don't know. I find that amazing. That Jesus actually himself said, listen, it's there. God's at work in people's lives. God is at work in people's lives. Therefore, he's called us to take the message to those that he is at work in their lives. I don't know. I find that just, I find that incredible when you think about it. That Jesus himself, Jesus himself said, pray for the harvest. Pray for workers, He's not here so much telling you to pray for people who don't know Christ. He's praying for those who will go and do what they're supposed to do. And so when you understand the concept of what the church is and what its purpose is, okay, its, its task is to, is to go, ye therefore, into all nations. But its purpose is to function together. You've got to hear that. In fact, when everybody gets on this, think about the Billy Graham crusade. Everybody gets on the same page for about six months, and look at what happens. Just, just for this much time, right? But it's incredible how disunified you can get. It's just amazing to me. So again, you see this picture. So an example from Jesus himself, right? The harvest is plentiful. In other words, it's all out there. We need to get together, right? And do what he's called us to do. Therefore, pray, pray, pray. If you want to pray for our church, pray for the unity of our church. That we all get on the same page to do what he's called us to do. 
functioning as a healthy body to obviously make the difference in the community and around the world, as we'll talk about next week. Number three is an example from the disciples, okay? Example from disciples. Now, this one's interesting because this one, again, is just another picture of being set, all right? We have Philip in Acts chapter 8, and you don't have to turn turn to verse 26, but in verses 1 through 25, I want you to see that Philip has been sent uh, and he's, a, he's establishing a church in Samaria. Awesome things are happening in Samaria. I don't have time to read it, but if you want to read verses 1 through 25, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, God's using Philip, one of the disciples, to do incredible things. Now, in the middle of this, if you will, revival, whatever you want to call it, God has other ideas for Philip. Now, here's the picture in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. It says, Now, angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south right? To the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I've been on this road before. Gaza is not a place you really want to be today, right? If you know anything about the Middle East, if you know anything about the area. But the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, there's not much there. In fact, other than a few bright little oasis spots, it's mostly desert. And when you and I think of desert, we think of sand. That's not the way it is over here. Over here, it is dry as dust. In fact, the sand is like talc powder. And it was just rocks everywhere, okay? And you look at this arid, dry place, and that's what the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, Gaza or Gaza is. And so basically, nobody is ever on that road unless you're going from one place to another. And so here's what the, the voice said. I want you to go. I want you to go, it says, to the road, Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert. So I want you to leave this incredible movement of God, God working in these people at Samaria, and I want you to go wander around out in the desert. It doesn't seem to make sense. But this is what God's called him to do. Interesting, huh? So that's what he does. He rose and he went. You know, Philip had been around Jesus long enough that he wasn't going to doubt it anymore. He's just going to do it. When you get on the same page, then you don't have to have big fights over what you ought to do. Right? Usually it becomes pretty clear, especially if everybody wants to be on God's page. That's usually a very unifying thing because it's what he's called us to be. I don't know. Anyway, and he rose and he went. And, he, and he's, as he goes, okay, he sees an Ethiopian, a eunuch, okay, who is under the service of, king, uh, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So he's a very high-ranking official at that time. And he was in charge of all of her treasure, which meant he was extremely trusted. So he was one of the high important officials in the government of the Ethiopians. And what did he do? Well, he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Guys, he was, he was a seeker. Does that make sense to you? He didn't know, but he wanted to know. Guys, I can always tell when I bump into people, those who want to know and those don't want to know. And I don't want to be ugly, but don't waste your time with people who don't want to know. They just get argumentative and try to get gotchas in and, well, what about this? And, you know, did Adam have a belly button? All the other stupid things they can ask, right? Don't waste your time. When God's at work in someone's heart, it's usually in someone's heart who wants to know like this particular guy. I mean, he'd traveled. I don't know if you, if you know, your, you know your maps and geography, 
But he traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem in a chariot. It had taken him months. And he went there to worship. But when he got there, he didn't find what he was looking for. And so what did he do? Well, he was returning and he was seated in the chariot and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, guys, that was a big deal. He had actually, while he was there, he'd brought, he'd bought a scroll of Isaiah, the one we just read. And he was reading it. But he couldn't get it. He just, he was seeing, but he couldn't perceive. He was hearing, but he couldn't understand. But here's the thing I found out about who God is. Because I'm asked often, you know, what about those people out in the middle of nowhere or whatever? I have found that if anybody wants to know who God is, God will move heaven and earth to get someone there to explain it to you. If it's what you really want to know. The question is not whether you know God today. is The question is, do you want to? I found most don't want to. Because they don't want, they don't want to come into contact with anything that might challenge you know, them doing what they want to do. But if you want to know, I mean, God will take a Philip up out of an incredible thing going on. He'll send him all the way in the middle of the desert to meet you by chance. Oh, if you have ears to hear. It's an incredible thing when you, when it, when you see it happen. And not only see it happen in others' life, but when you see it happen in your own. So anyway, he walks up. He's, he's just reading Isaiah out loud. They have any idea. And the Spirit said to Philip, there he is, okay? There he is. This is why I've got you here. And so I want you to go over there. And so as it gets near, ran to him. He heard him reading, okay? And uh, Isaiah the prophet said, you know, and he, he asked him the question, hey, can you understand what you're reading? The guy says, no, I can't. And he says, how can I understand this unless somebody helps? Somebody just explains it to me. Interesting. Guys, I have a passion. You know I do help people to understand because you got this guy here this Ethiopian guy who is traveling he's doing whatever he can do to find out he just wants to understand he just wants to understand it is a passion of mine because I was in church most all of my life and never was a believer not till I was 21 oh yeah I heard it but I, I I never understood well anyway he says I can't understand unless somebody guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, which was a big deal. Because remember, this was a high official, so he probably had an entourage of about a hundred to protect him. Right? So he gets up in there, and what he says is, he says the passage of scripture that he was reading was like a sheep. Uh, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. Uh, so he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice Okay, uh, was denied him, and who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. So these are all prophecies and pictures of who Christ is. We'll talk more about those in our next series. And so, and then the eunuch, right, looks over at, at Philip and says, can you help me? Who's he even talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And look at verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and he began to share in the scripture, he told him the good news about Christ. Now, do you realize at this particular time, there were no other scriptures other than the Old Testament? There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So it wasn't in the New Testament. He went back to the Old Testament. He opened up his mouth and he shared with them. When Jesus was on the road to the Emmaus with the two disciples, he opened up his mouth and he shared all through the Old Testament's pictures of him. Guys, that's our next series. And I'm real excited about sharing with it. 
what he shared probably with this Ethiopian. Well, he was a seeker and God opened his eyes and let him find. He immediately wanted to be baptized, which is recorded there, and he was. What prevents me from being baptized? They stopped the chariot. He baptized him in water, which is just a picture. And, and then Philip went away from him. But Philip was sent with a message to those with whom God's working in their lives, to those who are seeking, to those who want to know. So I got a couple of thoughts for you. If you're not a believer today, okay, if you're here today or if you're watching by way at home, the question is not whether you are or not, but do you, do, do you want to know? Do you truly want to know? Probably, probably you do, unless you were really, really guilted into coming today. Does that make sense? Most of you have a curiosity of, yeah, yeah, I would like to know. I promise you, if you want to know, he'll allow you to be able to see it. This is incredible, but there's never going to be a force. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, so you have then this picture then. The rest of us, God's just called to share that. Being who he's called us to be so that we can do what we've been called to do. All right, number four, we've got to get, get done. All right, is an example from Paul. You know, Paul was, you know, just so you know, God chose Paul to do some incredible things. Um, but God chose Paul to be, a, if you will, an, an ambassador, or if you will, a minister to the Gentiles. If you're not familiar with that term, the word Gentiles is anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish today, you're a Gentile, whether you knew you were one or not. But at the time, there was a clear separation between the two. There's not near as big a separation as there is like today. But it does say that basically this is what he called him to do. He called him to do. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, that is the guy who was going, who was being sent to share the gospel with Paul. This guy was scared to go to Paul because Paul had been imprisoning and killing Christians. And then the Lord said to him, go, I've chosen him to be an instrument of mine, to carry my name or the gospel to the Gentiles. That is to those who aren't Jewish. So it's, again, it's what God called him to do. He sent Paul. Now, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, this is where I'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is Paul describing what that's like for us. This is one of the great pictures of who you and I, not just who you and I are supposed to be, but what you and I are supposed to be doing, okay? If you're a believer today. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, first of all, he talks about if anyone's in Christ, this is an often quoted uh, verse, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. There is something different about you. Therefore, you fit into a larger group of something he wants to use and, and to work through, all right? So if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, right? Something that wasn't there before. The old's past, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, right? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Okay, now that's the gospel message. Reconciled means to make, to make two parties that weren't right to make them right. So if you reconcile a relationship, if you reconcile a marriage, okay, it wasn't, okay, it wasn't right, but it's been made right, right? If you reconcile a contract, if you're, therefore it's paid off. You reconciled it, it's done. So whatever reconciled, therefore, because of Christ, he has reconciled us to God, okay? And look at this. And he's given to us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Uh-huh. All right. So those of us who are believers, and we've been reconciled to God because of what Christ did. That's just another way of saying it. He's given us that ministry. 
The word ministry means to serve. That is to serve others, to help them understand the, the good news of Christ. Now, you know, sometimes people will ask me, you know, Jeff, how long have you been in the ministry? Or Jeff, uh, when was your call to the ministry or whatever? Well, in reality, I understand what people say, and I, I don't, I'm not offended when you say that. But in reality, it's something that we need to look at differently. If you're a believer today, okay, can you put that verse back up there? If you're a believer here today, you are in the ministry. Does that make sense? Because all, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. Who's us? This is us. Right? He has reconciled us to himself, and he's given who? This is us. The ministry of reconciliation. You're in the ministry if you're a believer. Right? In fact, I doubt you are a believer if you have no desire for this. Does that make sense? It's just a common thing when somebody becomes a believer to want to be a part of helping others with that. I don't know. It's just the way it is. So he's given that ministry to us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Because of what Christ did, because of who he was and what he came to do, it gave God, if you will, the ability to reconcile the world to himself, to all those who put their faith and trust in what, who Christ is and what he came to do. Interesting. Right? Therefore, not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them. Why? Because they've been paid for. Right? And entrusting to us what? The message of reconciliation. It is our task. It has always been our task. It is what he's called us to do. Interesting. And yet, it all depends so much on the difference he's made in us. Not just us individually, but us. But if we truly are a new creation, then that binding together shouldn't be as hard, should it? Interesting. Just, just thinking, just thinking thoughts. Take a look now, if you will, in chapter 5, verse 20. Now, this is classic, classic stuff when you want to understand who we are. This is us. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors. Now, what's an ambassador? Still a good word today. The word, the, the word ambassador is someone who is sent from one country to another, and they represent the leader of the country they were sent from. Living sent, right? Therefore, when that, this ambassador goes to another country, he presents to their leader and basically becomes the message carrier from the leader where you came from. It's not near as big a deal now as it was back before, you know, email and all the other things. Because sometimes it'd take months to, to get a message to someone and, and you had to entrust an ambassador to represent your leader, king, whatever it was, in, in a way that, that he would, that would be honorable to who he was representing. Therefore, you are ambassadors for Christ. Look at this, look at this. God making his appeal through this is crowd participation time us not God making his appeal through you individually and yeah that's where most people think I need to be a light I need to be light no 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 we need to be a light that's when it really catches traction that's when it can really make a difference as if God was making his appeal to our world through us because this is us. This is us. This is such a powerful passage. 
Let's read it again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, okay? God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So he's sharing with people who aren't believers now. For the sake, for our sake, he made him to be no sin. Um, he, he He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, it's just the gospel. Because Christ took our, our, you know, took our sin, paid for it, and all the rest. All right, now, we understand that piece. But the other part, too, that ministry, that picture, that call, if you will, that all of us have, if you're a believer today, it all has to do, I'm just about done, but it all has to do with us. Us. And being on the same page in order to do what he's called us to do. Jesus said, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this next week, but he said, go ye therefore and make disciples. There's a lot of work involved in making disciples. But in order for it to function, everybody has to, everybody has to be on the same page. Right? Therefore, being who God's called you to be, you, so that we can do what God's called us to do. Amazing thought, amazing concept. And when it works, right, when everybody's on the same page, gates of hell won't stop it. That to me is, is one of the most amazing promises that Christ has, uh, has made to us, all right?